This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Blood Red podcast with me, Matt Addison. For those of you who are watching along on YouTube, you'll be able to tell alongside me is football finance expert, football podcaster, Price of Football, University of Liverpool lecturer, Kieran Maguire. There's of course no better person to speak to about a variety of topics that we're going to get into today than Kieran. And Kieran, the first question is the easiest of the lot. How are you doing? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm grand. We've, uh, we, we've sent out the results for this year's exams, so students are uh, hopefully happy with uh, what they've done. They've worked very hard. So uh, now it's, it's going back to uh, grading assignments over the, over the summer period. So it, it never stops, but it's, uh, the, world, the world of football finance has, uh, I think it's fair to say, kept me uh, just slightly busy this week. Yeah, I'm sure it's a, a very, very busy time for you. I mean, before we you know, go into to more of the topics. I'm sure if anybody is interested, they can check out your podcast and you know, we'll, we'll dive into the, the first topic straight away because, of course, since we've last spoken, something pretty big has happened. Liverpool have become Premier League champions for the first time and I suppose financially that will have a pretty big impact. But has that been at all tempered by the pandemic? Um, yes, yes, it will have been because the, the Premier League will have to give back some of the, the, the broadcasting deal to, uh, to broadcasting rights holders. Um, it, it's estimated that it, for this season, it's around about £350 million. Pounds, so spread between the 20 clubs. We have, now, we don't know whether it's going to be spread evenly or if it's going to be graded in the same way that the prize money itself is graded. But for a, for a club of, of the calibre of Liverpool, realistically, I think we're probably talking somewhere in the region of a, a twenty million pound hit to the club. Then they've got you know five five matches at Anfield where they've had to give money back. Um, Liverpool make around about three million pounds per match at Anfield, so that's another fifteen million. You put those two together, you know, it's uh, it, it's a sizable hit uh, to the revenues. It, it's not it's not going to uh, it, it's not going to devastate the club. You know, Liverpool are. Are generating more than half a billion pounds a year, but uh, yeah, a seven or eight percent hit at present, which could get bigger next season, um, it is going to cause them to be cautious uh, as far as spending is concerned. And of course, uh, another Premier League team who, who've won the league many times, Manchester United, they've always sort of been the team to match, really, in terms of revenues and that sort of thing for Liverpool. I believe that the gap between the two teams is closing. But I mean, how far off are Liverpool, would you say, from, from being at that level? Well, I, th- I felt that there was a genuine chance uh, in 2019-20 that Liverpool could have overtaken Manchester United. I mean, the gap was around about £85 million last season, so it was sizable. But remember, Manchester United failed to qualify for the Champions League. Um, that is, is worth about £60 million. And Liverpool's accounts are dated the 31st of May each year. So, of course, since the 31st of May uh, 2019, They've won the Champions League. They've won the Premier League. They've won the, um, the, the, the FIFA World Super Cup. So they had all of those additional monies coming in, um, plus the success from merchandise sales and bonuses from sponsors. Um, so they were, they were in a genuine chance of, of overtaking Manchester United for, for the first time in a very long time in, in the history of the Premier League. So I, I think it's, it's a real shame for Liverpool because... Uh, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson is famous for, for wanting to 
knock Liverpool off, off a perch in terms of titles one. Um, I think Liverpool fans would have enjoyed uh, knocking Manchester United off that, the particular perch in being the, the club which generates the most income uh, within the Premier League as well. And, and with the pandemic, I, I'm not convinced now that they'll manage that. But would you say that they're still on track to that? So it will be a delay. I mean, obviously, Manchester United seem to be getting back to not where they were, but certainly they're on the right path in terms of a first team squad and, and the direction they're going in. I mean, Liverpool, I suppose, are, are still on track to Overton, but maybe just not this year. Um, possibly. I mean, a lot will depend upon who finishes fourth in the Premier League this season. Uh, the way that UEFA distribute money is that 80% goes to clubs competing in the Champions League and 20% to clubs in the Europa League. So that has a big hit. But also under Manchester United's uh, contract with Adidas, um, if Manchester United fail to qualify for the Champions League uh, for two consecutive seasons, Adidas reduce their sponsorship or, or their, their kit manufacturing commitments by £25 million a year. So... Uh, if United get into fourth place, and, and I think that that match on the final day of the season, Leicester versus Manchester United is going to be a, a big match from a from a spreadsheet point of view, and you know, ultimately you know, from a footballing point of view, um, it, it's uh, it, it is important as well because they want to qualify for Champions League. But uh, it, it could make the difference between Liverpool taking t- taking that particular crown, uh, and it, it's it's an it's an insignificant one in the minor the minor scheme of things. But we all like bragging rights over Manchester United in whatever shape form we can get. Uh, then then I think that's going to be the critical issue. And the other Manchester club, Manchester City, of course, they're in the news a fair bit at the moment, and not just for their goal scoring form. Of course, they've been let off. F- P misdemeanors, if you like, obviously been to, to the court of arbitration for sport. First of all, what does that decision mean specifically for Liverpool going forward? I mean, can City now effectively spend what they want to this summer? No, no, it doesn't. I think City are in a position to spend more money than Liverpool because of the nature of the ownership model. We've seen um, with, uh, with Chelsea yeah, that they, they signed Timo Werner, they signed that guy from Ajax as well. Yeah, uh, Chelsea already spent about 80 or 90 million because uh, instead of having to uh, go to a board of directors, Frank Lampard just phones up or WhatsApps uh, Roman Abramovich and says, I want to sign a player for 60, 70 million. And, and Roman, in inscrutable way, says yes or no accordingly. Um, yeah, Liverpool have, a, have a, a much broader mandate because the owners clearly have uh, American sports franchises and, and other companies in which they're involved with as well. So therefore, they, they've got to bear uh, in mind the sort of the whole of the mothership and, and their financial commitments. In, in respect of City, I, I don't think that there was any desire for them to spend huge sums of money. And, and if you take a look uh, over the, you know, the last season or two, uh, while City are clearly at the top table when it comes to spending money. Manchester United about spent them. Um, City wanted to sign Alexis Chez and United bid them in terms of wages. It was exactly the same with Harry Maguire. So um, City are in a strong position, um, but they, I, they won't be able to spend willy-nilly simply because financial fair play does still exist. And, and these particular charges against Manchester City actually go back to around about 2013 since then, City have reigned in their spending in terms of the degree of acceleration that we've seen uh, in terms of uh, committing towards both wages and, and transfer spends. 
And in terms of FFP more widely then, I mean, there's been lots of talk that this could effectively be the end of it, but I suppose that isn't necessarily the case. No, no, some form of financial control will continue to exist. Um, the, the existing system do, does have some merits, um, but I think what has, uh, ha has come out as a result of the cash thing is, is that perhaps financial fair play uh, operates better for smaller clubs than it does for bigger clubs. Because if you take a look at those clubs that have had fans from Europe, uh, the likes of Milan, Galatasaray, the Sitkas and so on, who have been in breach of financial fair play, um, they've not necessarily had the resources where they could employ the best lawyers to, to defend themselves in, in an institution such as CAS. And, and we have to remember that ultimately that three independent judges have found Manchester City um, innocent of the charges that were delivered at them. And, and these charges were uh, specifically that Manchester City had inflated um, their sponsorship revenues from, uh, from parties connected or indirectly connected to the club owners. Um, and and this, this is sort of a, you know, a six or seven year old uh, case, which, which, was, uh, which was touched. Since then, yeah, City have changed the way that they operate. Clearly, people will um, point to them having very close links to, uh, to Abu Dhabi. Um, and that's, that's fully understandable. But the, the level of expenditure or the level of finance which is coming from Abu Dhabi has, has uh, diminished. As, as City have started to win trophies and, and have increased their own revenues because they themselves have become uh, more of a global club. But, you know, I think we have to be honest here, not to the same extent as, as Liverpool or Manchester United because they, they don't have that same history and heritage in, in terms of success in Europe. I suppose then FFP probably is going to change a little bit. It might need some sort of revamp. Is there a way that it could ever be implemented maybe slightly differently? Because I suppose at the moment the, the big issue is that people will say if we stop teams from spending, you wouldn't get another Manchester City. So Newcastle, for example, if they get new owners, they won't be able to spend in the same way. And it, it's almost like a ceiling to, to protect those top clubs, isn't it? Very much, and that's what the critics of financial fair play in its present form do say, that it's, uh, it's created a closed shop, it's created a cartel um, at the elite end of football, and Manchester City are part of that cartel. Yeah, let, let, let's be honest, yeah, they, they like to present themselves as the outsiders, but they signed up to financial fair play um, in its present form. The last thing that, that uh, the Abu Dhabi owners want is, is a Saudi Arabian-controlled uh, club uh, competing for European honours and domestic honours because Saudi Arabia's health is probably around about sometimes that of uh, Abu Dhabi itself. So it, there's a danger of an arms race being created if there are no controls whatsoever and, and that football becomes purely uh, a rich person's or rich nation's plaything. Um, so so we, we will have to wait to see what, what are the ramifications uh, arising. Uh, both Alexander Severin, who is the president of uh, UEFA, uh, and Arsene Wenger, who himself was one of the first people to accuse the city of financial doping, have said that the present incarnation of financial fair play really isn't working. Uh, and perhaps owners should be allowed to put money in. But perhaps if that is going to be the case, then it can be tapped. So you know, for every pound you put in above a certain level, you have to put a pound into another pot and, and that gets distributed amongst other clubs in Europe. So 
uh, to a certain extent. It could be you know, a, an element of Robin Hood in, in taking from the rich and distributing to the not quite so rich. Um, so what, what will happen in due course, we, we will have to wait and see. Um, but I, I think the, the present break-even model uh, does have flaws. I mean, I'm, I've been sort of quite critical of it over the years, uh, simply because it encourages creative accounting, it encourages uh, clubs to perhaps look at means of circumventing the rules, and, and therefore that goes against the principles, and we end up with an accountant's and a lawyer's war uh, determining uh, trophies, determining fines, determining which clubs are taking place uh, in European competition. And also, potentially, if, if we look at the EFL, we, we could have a club being kicked out of uh, out of the, the, the Football League this season in Macclesfield or, or Stevenage due to financial issues. And, and as a football fan, that, that doesn't sit particularly easily with me. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We mentioned Newcastle there, potentially a new team on the block if that takeover does ever go through. I mean, the fact that it's taken so long and it's been such a dragged out process seems to, to indicate to me it might not take place. I mean, what would your your thoughts on that be at this stage? Well, the, the issue in respect of Newcastle United is whether or not the club, the, the, the potential owners, have satisfied the owners and directors test. Now, this, this test consists of two elements. First of all, are you a criminal? Um, well, clearly the owners don't have, aren't in prison. They don't have any outstanding convictions or, or parole issues. So that would appear to be the case um, that, that there, there are no criminal issues. But uh, the Premier League is concerned. And I think there were some very interesting um, things developing this week where Saudi Arabia have outlawed Bayan sports who hold the rights for the Middle East um, from broadcasting in Saudi. Um, uh, the, the accusations made by people connected to the Premier League is that Saudi Arabia are sponsoring a pirate organisation uh, for broadcasting rights in, in the Middle East because there is a soft war, there is a cold war taking place between Qatar and Saudi Arabia at present. So we, so we then move up into the unfortunate area of Middle Eastern geopolitics. And it's, it's never the most stable of areas when it comes to um, the, the peace and harmony between nations. And, and it could be that football ends up being effectively a football um, between these two countries. Um, the Premier League have tried to employ um, a, a series of lawyers to take up this case. And on every occasion, the lawyers have turned down the opportunity to represent the, the, uh, the Premier League, presumably because they have lucrative contracts with clients in Saudi uh, and, and therefore they, they don't want to damage uh, their professional relationships with, uh, with clients in that country. So we, we've got a bit of a stalemate at present. Um, the, the Premier League, in an ideal world, wants somebody else to make that decision for them. But the fact that Saudi have chosen this week after three or four months of trying to get uh, control of Newcastle does look like that the stakes have been increased in, in respect of this particular war. Um, and and you know, the gut reaction is, have the, have the, uh, have the Saudi authorities uh, been given a heads up that their bid is likely to be turned down? And therefore, in a fit of peak, they've decided to uh, get their revenge through not having the Premier League. Uh, being able to be viewed in Saudi Arabia. 
Because otherwise you're crazy. You know, what's the point of a Saudi Arabian investment fund buying Newcastle United and then saying to its citizens, who will, of course, become you know, uh, mad keen Geordies. And, and we've, got some, uh, we've got some Saudi students uh, here at the University of Liverpool who are very keen to you know, support Newcastle. Uh, yeah, they, they've, been, they've been badgering me about the deal. And they say that you know, everybody would, you know, Newcastle would become effectively Saudi Arabia's de facto team um, in, in the Premier League, which is so popular. If, if the Saudi authorities say, well, we're not going to allow you to watch the football, that would be counterproductive. So you have to wonder why that decision was made so recently. Yeah, it's certainly one to keep an eye on, I think, for, for Liverpool fans, potentially another competitor at the top end of the table in future. But just to, to go back to, to FFP, I mean, Liverpool's owners have always been you know, very much in favour of it. I think one of the reasons that they bought the club in the first place was because that was in place. I mean, where do you think that leaves them now? Will they be reeling from this decision, potentially? Well, well clearly... There is no love between Liverpool and Manchester City. Uh, you know, nature of the comments that we have seen this week um, in respect of uh, a, a letter came from uh, eight clubs in the Premier League to UEFA, I believe, that, uh, that was in support of UEFA's initial two-year ban. Uh, and, and if the stories are true, Liverpool were one of the signatories to that. So th there, is, uh, there are poor relations between the two clubs. Um, I don't think they'll be reeling. We, we have to remember, Liverpool just won the... And, and, and that is an amazing achievement in its own right. So therefore, I'm sure they're focusing on themselves. Um, you know, Jurgen Klopp has said it, it's, it's a, it's a double-edged sword because he felt that if Manchester, if Manchester City were not in European competitions next season, it would be almost impossible to stop them from winning the Premier League simply because they'd, have to, they'd just be focusing on those 38 games and they wouldn't have the distractions of Europe. They, you know, the fatigue issues that go along with having to compete on a variety of fronts. So I, the Liverpool owners won't be happy with the decision because Manchester City are a competitor, but I, I think they won't be in a position to do anything. Uh, I, I can't see them throwing their toys out of them and wanting to sell the club on the basis of this decision. I, I think they'll just be uh, quietly gnashing their teeth. Yes, certainly. I mean, in terms of FFP specifically over the next couple of years, I mean, obviously that the impact of COVID-19 meant that FFP was going to be delayed and, and put into next year's accounts. I mean, will that change at all, do you think, because of, of this decision with Manchester City or, or will FFP for the time being at least just continue as effectively as it were? I, I think we'll see no change. What, what uh, UEFA have done is that they said that clubs can combine 2019 uh, 20 and 2021 as, as a single year and then you have the losses and, and, and FFP will be applied on the basis of that. Um, so in the short term, no changes. Um, I, I think that uh, the people involved at UEFA and there's some very talented people, um, they, they will go back to the drawing board and the, the choices that they have is maintain, amend or scrap financial fair play. Um, ultimately, we have to decide what is the purpose of financial fair play, because if the purpose is to reduce debt, then that's never going to apply to clubs such as um, Manchester City or PSG, because the owners don't, the club have any debt. The owners have put money in literally as, as gifts to the club in the form of the equity injections historically. Um, so, so that particular uh, parameter isn't going to apply. Uh, if, if we're going to 
try to have it on a profit base, then the same criticisms that are leveled at present, that financial fair play is, is a means of creating a glass ceiling for, for those ambitious clubs, such as well, Everton, have to also need to be taken into consideration because Mr. Mashiri and his friend Mr. Usmanov, um, they are keen to, to make Liverpool, so to make Everton more competitive, Newcastle as well. Um, so we, we will have to wait and see. Um, but until you work out what, what uh, actual fair play is there for, you really can't have a set of rules um, that are going to be universally acceptable. Jurgen Klopp made some comments in the, the aftermath of, of the Manchester City decision and, and sort of hinted that he thought a European league might be on the way, given what the, the decision was. I mean, I wonder what your thoughts are on that. I mean, are we a step closer to that because of, of FFP and, and that sort of thing? Or, or maybe was that Jurgen Klopp being a little bit dramatic? I, I think the, the European Super League as such won't, won't arrive, uh, partly due to the fact that if, if you talk to Liverpool fans, which club do they want to beat most of all the season? Well, that's Manchester United. Um, and if there's no guarantee that Manchester United would be in this Super League. Uh, Liverpool would like to be beating Leeds. Liverpool would be liking to beating Everton. You know, th these are the main rivalries. Yes, it, it's fantastic to beat uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, PSG and so on. But the that those are not rivalries. And football, I think, certainly in England, is very much a rivalry-based sport. Um, so it's more likely that we will have an expanded form of Champions League. And, we, and the big year that we're looking at is 2024-25, um, when the, the present incarnation of the Champions League uh, is, is due for uh, revamp. Um, the most recent suggestions would be that uh, in, in the Champions League, clubs would be guaranteed 12 games instead of six. Um, there would be uh, automatic, uh, automatic places in the Champions League for anybody that, that finished in the top two thirds of the of two divisions. I think, I think two divisions of 16. So therefore, the top 12 would automatically requalify for the following season. So this would allow... Um, the big clubs to be guaranteed European uh, competition every year and, and the monetary rewards that that brings, whilst at the same time, um, we'll be able to compete on a domestic front. However, it, Jürgen Klopp has also been very uh, critical of the football calendar and he has, he has said that it is, it is too big already. So we'd have to work out what is going to have to go domestically. I think the Carabao Cup is... Is, is almost gone. Um, there's no desire um, from clubs to compete in that particular competition unless they're allowed to potentially put in a B team. Um, the FA Cup replays are going to go in the FA Cup, I think, for perhaps all but or perhaps but the third round. Um, so, and then the, the, the big issue for me is will the elite clubs in the Premier League put pressure on the other clubs to reduce the size of the Premier League from 20 to 18 or 16 clubs. And that would free up slots because the revamped Champions League hybrid European Super League, I'm aware that many of the clubs want those fixtures to take place at weekends, which for Liverpool as a city would be fantastic because if you've got, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm 
you know, living in hope of a post-pandemic world where we can travel and we can attend matches in, in front of full stadia. Um, you know, if, if Bayern Munich or Dortmund or Barcelona are coming down, you know that they're going to bring their three or 4,000 fans. They're going to pack out the hotels. They're going to pack out the bars and so on uh, over the whole of those weekends. So from a, from a hospitality perspective, it, it could be super news for Liverpool as a city, as well as l- lucrative for Liverpool as a football club itself. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to, to see what happens and I'm sure we will both be across all of those developments as and when. A final question then, in terms of transfers, of course, we had to touch on them at some point. Liverpool, we believe, uh, were interested in, in Timo Werner to an extent. He's, of course, since moved to Chelsea. Liverpool were, were unable to put down a fee and the wages and the whole package financially would have brought at that particular time. They're now being linked for a move for Thiago Alcantara from Bayern Munich. But the big question, I suppose, on, on Liverpool fans' lips is if they couldn't sign Timo Werner, what would have changed to make it possible to sign Thiago? Well, I think Liverpool will be looking at exit routes as well as, uh, as, well as signings. So um, a lot will depend. And remember that the transfer window doesn't sort of formally open for another couple of weeks in, in the Premier League. Is, uh, is, is the club in negotiation for um, you know, some of their fringe players to go, which would free up wages, which would allow them to, to sign. So it's a case of wait and see. Um, as I inferred earlier, the, the, uh, the Chelsea football model is completely different. Um, FSG have had to make significant cuts. Uh, we've been monitoring what's been happening in, in Boston um, so I think they are concerned as owners of the club, but also as American-based owners, that they don't want to be seen necessarily to be spending big money on their UK arm of the business if they are also at the same time having to announce job losses back in the US. So that there is a, there is a, a, a concern. They, they've got a responsibility towards their staff um, back in the US uh, in terms of the Boston Red Sox and their other businesses, and, and that will be weighing on their mind. Jurgen Klopp will be given a budget, but it could be that he himself is in no hurry to make a decision because we don't know when football is going to return, under what guise it's going to return. Uh, there's issues in terms of the Champions League for next season, for example, what's going to be the TV budget. So it could be that he's waiting for the, for the mists to clear a little bit. And also, uh, if he does manage to sell two or three players, then then he'll be in a position to be able to uh, go into the, the transfer market um, at, at a higher level. And it, and it could be that he's got his eyes on two players um, and he wants to make sure that he does have the, the budget for those rather than compromise and make an early signing at a lower fee. And I suppose then if the transfer window, I think, is, is open till October the 5th or, or something like that, I suppose there is still time for the financial landscape between now and then to completely change if, if fans are back and, and things like that. Yes, I mean, the Premier League uh, is presently in negotiations with, uh, with, with the government. There is a working party which is being set up. Um, I, think, I think the most recent comments was that uh, they were hoping for a 40% capacity allowance for, for clubs. So as far as Liverpool would be concerned, you know, 40% of 54 is uh, 18,000. Um, this, this, of course, would give issues uh, because there's more than 18,000 people that would be desperate to watch Liverpool on a regular basis. But that, that will be, that's a, that's a, a, 
problem for later down the line. First of all, we, we've got to get approval and we, we've got to, of course, prioritise health. Uh, football is a sideshow. Uh, there are people still dying. There are people still in, on the front line um, putting their lives uh, out there for our benefits. And football must remember exactly where its place is in society. Yeah, we will certainly see what happens. I'm sure Liverpool fans would like to see Thiago at Anfield. And if that is indeed any more likely at any stage than it is now, we will, of course, keep you updated across the Liverpool Echo and Blood Red as soon as any developments take place. For now, though, that's all we've got time for on the latest edition of the Blood Red podcast. Thank you very much to Kieran for joining me and you for watching at home too. Don't forget to like and subscribe. But until next time, from myself and from Kieran, it's goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.